0: everyone, this is Clatu. You're listening to GNU World Order, Season 12, Episode 0, New Year, New Season. In the past of, of my show, I've done a season arbitrarily of 20 episodes. I just decided somehow that 20 episodes was a season, and it just so happened, given a couple of weeks here and there that I would miss or whatever, that generally averaged out to be from January to December of a certain year. And then I would take a small break and start a new season and continue the show. This time around, since I have switched to this new schedule of just throwing whatever I want to out there each week, I figure it really just makes sense to have one season equal one year, so in theory, in theory, there should be 52 episodes this season, but we'll see how that that actually works out. So the thing that I want to do, at least to start this season out on, is to analyze some software packages, and I, I will explain exactly why I think this is important. Two things. First of all, app images. You may remember that app images, I've, I think I've talked about it on this show before, possibly on Hacker Public Radio, possibly on both. I gave a talk about app images uh, at the All Things Open conference, not this past year, but the year before, and it's a really fantastic little system. App images are essentially portable apps for Linux. They are application directories, if you're familiar with Rocks Filer, uh, with a couple of extra things sprinkled in to make them snazzier. What, What I'm saying is that you have a directory, and you put your binary executable into that directory, and then you put all the stuff that that binary executable depends on in that directory. And you wrap that up into something called an app image, which uh, what used to be an ISO, a .iso file. Now it is a squash.fs file system that gets mounted via the Fuse subsystem. And it acts, for all the world, like a self-contained application. I mean, it is a self-contained application. Now, self-contained, of course, in the computer world is a little bit of a, of a fuzzy definition because self-contained, I mean, nothing's self-contained. It has to have something running on the system that, that it can run on. So you have to have your OS, and then, then you get into this fuzzy definition of, well, what exactly is an OS? So what we're going to call an OS right now is a, a system that has a C library and whatever else is necessary to run the ELF format, ELF being the executable and linking format that is standard on the Linux operating system. So I think it's important for people, for, for Linux users, to understand what really does make up the base Operating system. What do different distributions and so on? What, what do they actually have in common, and what is required, and what should be in a Linux OS? What what should we reasonably expect on a base install of Linux OS? And I'll tell you something. So I have a friend named Lost in Bronx. He's been on this show before, and he's certainly been on Hacker Public Radio. And you may know him from elsewhere. He's a he's an author and has a bunch of audio books and audio plays out there. So he's quite prolific. And one of the things, I was, I was listening to him talk about something, a new laptop that he got, actually, and he was talking about how he'd put Puppy Linux on it and how he downloaded an app image and it wouldn't, it wouldn't start on his Puppy Linux install because, or or I guess, yeah, I guess it's an install with Puppy Linux. You can install it. So the the problem was, as it turns out, that it didn't have the Fuse subsystem, which is, Fuse is a F, the, the file system in user space package. So it gives you access to a bunch of file systems without having to install, you know, having those file systems in your kernel, uh, compiled into your kernel. So, it he, he didn't have fuse, and I, I that really surprised me because I kind of felt like any Linux OS should reasonably be expected to have the fuse file system, and and I'm gonna argue that Puppy Linux probably should have the fuse file system. Honestly, that that to me fuse file systems in general is one of the most important things for an OS to have. So I I really think the more support you have for a file system, the better. It was surprising to me that puppy Linux his install of puppy Linux did not have the fuse subsystem in it and and I imagine it would surprise the application the app image people as well because that's it's truly I think one of the most basic things for an operating system to have but but it's really not I mean in terms of do you need this computer to work well you don't need fuse then you know as long as you're yeah, as long as you're going to use this computer in this certain way and use just native file systems with it you probably don't, and, and more than native, mainstream native, you probably don't need views. So I think it's important for us to really look at what, what lies beneath, like what, what makes a Linux operating system. And there's a lot of it, and I'm going to go through a bunch of it, not in this episode, not all in this episode, it will be, it will span a few episodes. So that's one reason that I felt it is important to do this, just to, to to get familiar with this stuff. I mean, we all, we all, and this is, I guess, the second reason we all kind of get really excited about the fact that we're using open source and that that our whole stack is open source. But I mean, can you really name? Everything in slash user slash lib64. I mean, do you really know what's what's in there? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. So we should look at it. And then the the third and final reason is maybe a little bit more practical, and it kind of it it does go back to app images, although it it has nothing to do with app images. That's just how I realized it. So I was working on this app image that I was that I was building, and app image the the project upstream has this bash script called functions.sh, and if you source functions.sh you get a bunch of little commands that you can use in your shell script to build your app image so it's 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 a useful little tool and one of the the switch statements in this functions.sh was is is meant to find the the arch of your of your machine the architecture so the the way that I've always seen that done is uname-m and that returns either x86 underscore four or x, or what would be, i686, or whatever, or arm vl7, and so on. So, or arm lv7, I'm not sure. But you get the idea. So in this switch statement, for whatever reason, in the functions.sh, it, it was using uname-i. And on a lot of my machines, uname-i was returning exactly what we expected i686 eight, uh, x8664 um, arm lv7 or whatever but on my w- desktop my workstation if i type in uname name dash i i get authentic amd so the the switch function just kept failing and i think on another machine there was another one it was like amd64 or something or maybe that was just something that they added in the switch case in the case statement to, um... Th- uh, to... to account for that, just in case. I don't... I'm not really sure. But the point is that it was failing because of this weird little name dash i versus dash m. So I... I suggested using dash m in the shell s- uh, script instead. And they kind of... they thought about it and, and were okay with that. I don't think they've actually updated it yet, but I should probably ping them again. But in the meantime... Someone out of the blue, it was on GitHub, and so someone just kind of saw the issue or whatever, and said, hey, have you ever used the command arch? A-R-C-H. And I thought, well, thats that doesn't even sound like a real command. That sounds like something uh, completely mythical and made up, or maybe something very specific for Arch Linux. But sure enough, much to my surprise, if you type in man arch, turns out that there is a package called arch. It is part of the GNU core utils package, and it prints the machine hardware name. So it's it's the same as uname -m. It's just it just really uh, genuinely surprised me that I'd never come across the command arch before. I've uh, years years of using Linux, and uname -m is the way that I knew to do this. Type in arch and it does the same thing, and it's on every, any, any machine that has GNU core utils on it has this command arch. Really, really interesting and surprising just to think that, yeah, I'd never heard of that command, and I, I kind of thought about it, and I thought, you know, I'll bet there's a bunch of commands just kind of sitting around on my computer that I have never used, And, and in fact, I know that there are, and some of them, maybe i don't use directly and some of them maybe are used you know by, i i know that k3b for instance the disc burning application uses a bunch of commands that i could theoretically use directly and i've just never bothered because burning cd's and dvd's from a terminal just had no interest no interest in doing that ever N- not not ever and i've just never had to do it and maybe at some point people did have to do it and had a very very good reason for being interested in doing that but i didn't start using linux until k3b existed and and frankly cd's and dvd's were kind of on their way out anyway so yeah i just i'm not really interested in that sort of thing but i do know that there are a bunch of commands related to that process that that it does does use in the background so you know the fact that they're on my system and i don't use them directly doesn't really bug me at all but there's a bunch of other stuff that's probably quite interesting so I thought, well, you know what I should do is just go through literally every package on a Slackware install CD, or DVD rather, because that would tell me exactly what's on my system. And I'm going to do that. This se- the, the, this the That's how we're going to start this season out, is going through every single package on a Slackware install ISO. And I know what you're thinking, oh, but I don't run Slackware, it's not relevant to me, that's not very interesting. And And that's, of course, wrong for two reasons. Zero, because you should be running Slackware. And then one, because it's it's still a Linux operating system. And yeah, there will be some things that are very specific to Slackware. But generally speaking, you're going to find a lot of the same things on your Linux OS, on your distro. And and that'll be interesting to you, because now you'll be hearing about things that you didn't really know were there, potentially. So let's get started with all that preamble out of the way. So the first one on a Slackware install disk, whether you know it or not, is, I mean, I'm quite familiar with it, is uh, AAA underscore base. And this is, so Slackware separates its packages out into a bunch of different folders. And they, they I guess they used to be the names of the floppy disks or something like that, or or maybe not even the floppies because they probably didn't even fit on floppies, but maybe some had to span two floppies. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, but there's A, A P, AP, Delta, um, E, F, K, I don't know why I said Delta instead of D, uh, K, KDE, L, N, T, TCL, X, XAP, XFCE, and Y. Those are the... the the, the packages. And the, they haven't always been that. The, those Some of them are new, and I could tell you exactly which ones are new if I opened up a different ISO here. I'm not going to right now, but it is kind of interesting to download Slackware 1, like literally 1, and, and look at the, the packages and notice how, how many of them have not changed, and and the little differences here and there that have changed. Anyway, the first one... The the first series of packages is the A series, single A, and within that, for sorting order, I I I would imagine there is AAA underscore, and then uh, three different packages. There's base, there's elf libs, and there's term info. Now, if you open up the package listing for AAA underscore base, to my to my surprise there's there's not really anything in this package except for the uh structure of directories it's just the directory structure and uh there's a there's an installation script a doinst script and a slack description which is kind of standard for a slack package so those those will be in pretty much any slackware package and they're not important anyway i mean well they are but they're not um, then there is in etsy, slash etsy, there is an os-release and a slackware-version. And again, that's I believe that's defined by the Linux standards base, that in slash etsy, you should have an os-release and a distro name-version file in there, which I thought were the same files. Maybe maybe they're not, but um, or maybe they are, for all I know. I'm not sure. But that's that's what gets gets installed when you install the... That's the first package that gets installed. It's the one package that... Well, it's one of the packages that you just cannot uninstall because it's got the base... It's got this, the, the directory structure of of your entire system. So it's got things like bin, boot, dev, etsy, home, install, lib, lib64. Install is a package, uh, package-specific directory. Uh, media. And in media, there are some preset folders like dvd0, dvd1, floppy0, floppy1... HD0, HD1, things like that. Memory0, memory1. That you're I, I use that for RAM disks uh, sometimes. And then there's a mount directory, MNT, with some presets. There's opt, proc, root, run, sbin, serve, srv, uh, sys, sys, temp, and then of course user and everything in there, which essentially, as you probably know about user, kind of mirrors the rest of the system. It's got user lib, and then it's got user local, with bin, etsy, games, include info, lib, lib64, man, and all that good stuff, sbin, share. Uh, and then there's the var directory, and the var directory is kind of specific to Slackware. I mean, the layout of my var is specific to, to Slackware because there's a bunch of, like, well, I guess var log is 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 standard, but yeah, in, in var log on Slackware, you've got sla- slash packages, you've got removed packages, removed scripts, and scripts. And then, of course, you've got your, your spool files in your var directory as well. So you've got var uh, spool for mail, and var temp, and that's about it. Oh, and in var spool mail, there is an email from Patrick Volkerding, welcoming the new user to Linux. And and of course I should I should mention, I mean, that email in var spool in var mail spool is just it's a text file called root dot new and it's dropped into var spool mail root dot new. And and that's it's as simple as that. That's that's how you put an email on a Unix system. From from within anyway. It's it's you don't always think about that sort of thing. I, I kind of Kind of found that kind of interesting in a weird way. Okay, so that's that's the AAA base package. After that, the second thing that gets installed is the AAA underscore elf libs, which again has a bunch of Slackware package stuff like install, do inst, and Slack desk uh, description that's not all that important but the the rest of it according to the slackware description is this is a collection of shared libraries needed to run linux programs elf executable and linking format is the standard linux binary format these libraries are gathered from other slackware packages and are intended to give a fairly complete initial set of libraries so this is this is the this is the core of the operating system in a weird way i mean it's not the kernel but in terms of doing stuff with your computer once it has booted, this is this is where it's at. There's a couple of different libraries uh, in lib64 because I'm looking at the 64-bit version of of all of these. But in in this in this package are uh, is our libacl, libadder. Which bo- both I mean, ACL is the access control and adder are file attributes. Lib BZ2, so that's f- for compression stuff, Lib cap, LibDB, Lib, Lib Devmapper for, um, what is it? Lux, uh, Lib DM, Lib fuse, fuse being the file system user space library. Lib GPM, which uh, is a mouse. Library for using your mouse without a GUI. LibLisma, which is more compression. LibIncurses, which of course controls or or helps with incurses. LibPCRE, LibPOPT, I don't know how to say that, popped. LibSysFS, LibTermCap, LibUdev, and LibZ, which again is compression. So that's kind of cool to to look at I think there there's more but I think that's a pretty good little collection of of libraries to think about now pcre is the perl compatible regular expression library so libpcre and libpcreposix presumably have something to do with that Popped is the parse command line options so that is a C library to, as as it says, parse command line options, which you can imagine on a on a system like Unix uh, would be pretty essential. Termcap is terminal capability, so it tells you what your terminal is capable of, like can it have colors, can it, uh, I don't know, have a scroll back, you know, like all the different things that that get defined when you tell something that your terminal is a an X-term versus a a VT100 term and and things like that. LibDB is uh, a Berkeley database implementation, and LibDM is something that goes along with the device mapper. I think it might be the BSD version of that, and I'm not sure why we would need both LibDevMapper and LibDB. I'm not too sure or rather libdm. Uh, I'm not sure why both of those are required, but um I'll just kind of take it on faith that they are. And I realize that the purpose of this exercise is not to take anything on faith, but um that's a lot of libraries to look into, so I think I'll just I'll take it on faith. Uh let's see what else do we have. Well, we have in in usr, we have a bunch of we have a bunch more libraries. So there's usr/lib64 slash and we've got things like libasound which of course is an also library, libcups, which of course is the printing library, libcups-image, libcurl, which is the library version of curl, libelf, which assists us to recognize elf files, libexpat, that's for XML, it parses XML, stre- streaming XML, fast streaming XML, There's libform, which provides terminal-independent facilities for composing form screens on character-cell terminals. So, in other words, it does curses types of things. It 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 helps you design your interface and process input and output, or input rather, uh, in fields. And a lot of these you can just find by doing man, you know, whatever. So, if you see, if you if you look in your library directory and see a library that you have no idea what it is, just do man, and then instead of lib form, for instance, I just typed in man form, and that told me exactly what that was. So what's the next one? lib form w. I Yeah, that doesn't have anything, but I'm going to assume that's related to form. And then there's lib gcc, which is obvious, and lib gdm, which is the debugger. Let's see what's next. Then there's a lib glib. So this is uh, I had to look this one up, and, and it's not in the man pages either. So it's libglib is a glib library of C routines. So it contains useful C routines for things such as trees, hashes, lists, and strings. It's a useful general purpose C library used by projects such as GDK, G, uh, GIMP. I almost said GIMP and GNOME. So that's what libglib is libg module. Part of the glib package, actually, I happen to know that uh, we would have had to look that up, because that's not in the man pages either. Here's one, gmp, libgmp. Let's see if that man gmp. Nothing for gmp. I find that surprising, because I don't know how you would even know that it existed otherwise, but I guess I guess if you're using it, you know it. So, uh, gnu mp bignum library. It's the GNU Multiple Precision Arithmetic uh, arithmetic uh, Library. So it's a GNU package that, obviously, yeah, it, it does maths for you. And then there's a libgmpxx, which I, I'm going to just assume is the C++ version of the same. There's also a libgobject, which is part of the glib package as well. It, it's low-lying C libraries that provide... I don't know objects I guess and there's the libg thread which probably provides threading for the same lib history as you can probably guess or or surmise that provides command line history so when you look at your when you type in the word history you're 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 taking advantage of lib history you are looking at the history of all the commands that you've typed within a within some range this is all kind of related to Readline, GNU Readline, which uh, if you look at Hacker Public Radio lately, someone has been doing a little bit of a history or a little bit of a um a little bit of an anal- an analysis on on Readline, GNU Readline. It's pretty interesting listen. There are two parts so far at the time of this of this of this recording, Dave Morris. That's what I, who I thought it was. I wasn't sure though, but yeah, he's been looking at readline. It's a really good listen. Highly recommended. Next, we've got libidn, which is if we this one actually does have a man. So if I do man idn, sure enough, it brings in ID, it brings up idn internationalized domain names command line tool. So there you go. It processes internationalized domain names. This is one of those commands I'm not really sure why you would ever need it. I'm kind of guessing it's probably got something to do with LDAP kinds of things, because when would you need libid and otherwise? But but I'm not sure. It could be it could be for a number of things, and it might be one of those commands that I, I see no purpose for yet, and then in the future I'll suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I, this is exactly what I need. Uh, that That has happened several times in the past, like rev um never really understood why i'd need that tac never really understood that one uh what else icon yeah there there've been several commands where i just kind of thought this is almost looks like a joke and then you realize nope it's actually got a really really good use so uh, another one like that further down well there's so there's lib idn lib jpeg, JPEG is obvious lib elber elber is part of the ldap uh thing that ldap needs needs Elber. It is something that is necessary to recognize open LDAP. I'm not sure if it's required to implement it, but it is definitely something It's needed by things that are invoking LDAP. Next one is interesting, Lib ltdl. I had no idea what this was. I was trying to make it trying to make it be TLD, top-level domain, thing, and then equating it to IDN, but it was not. It, it's it's actually a part of LibTool. And LibTool is a GNU library, and it provides LibLTDL, which aims uh, at hiding the various difficulties of DL opening libraries from programmers. It consists of a few headers and small C source files that can be distributed with applications that need DL opening functionality. On some platforms whose dynamic linkers are too limited for a simple implementation of LibLTDL services, it requires GNU DLD, or it will only emulate dynamic linking with LibTools' DLP reopening mechanism. And it supports DLopen, uh, shl underscore load for HPUX, load library for Win16 and Win32, load underscore add underscore on by, by, for BIOS. Uh, ns add image or ns link module for Darwin, GNU DLD emulates dynamic linking for static libraries, and libtools DLP reopen. So that's obviously a super important library, and I guess when when it's just a string of random letters or a, a pr- apparently random letters, you know that it's super super important. I guess that's the that's probably the takeaway from from all of this. Lib menu uh, actually, should have a man page. So if we do a man lib menu, or how about just man menu? Yeah, here we go. It's a curses extension for programming menus. Simple. libmenuw, w, don't know, don't care. Uh, man lib mm. So um, mm is the, or rather, it's referencing the mm.h. It's a C library that does shared memory allocation. Uh, tasks so libmm is an interface for that, and you will see that in other other packages on occasion. You'll see things like um, what is it? I want to say glib, glibmm or or something like, or maybe it's gtkmm or cairomm. I think that's what I'm probably thinking of. There are a couple of of packages that kind of reference that, and and you can kind of get a sense for what they're doing based on on yeah what they're what they seem to be referencing so mm.h is kind of a a big one that you'll come across every now and again next we've got mpfr which is another GNU library and it has to do with with linking and specifically the mpfr library is a C library for multiple precision floating point computations with correct rounding mpfr has continuously been supported by the INRIA, and the current main authors come from the Caramba and ARIC project teams at Loria in France, oh, and Lyon in France. So there you go, MPFR, and it is based on that other library about math, the GMP. So MPFR and GMP are kind of brethren in mathematics, which is pretty pretty nice. One more. Not one more, just another one. Uh, there's a quite quite a few more. Not, we're getting close to the end here. Panel lib panel. it's it, it is probably as you can expect an, a curses thing. So it 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 takes care of of a panel stack extension for curses. So it's kind of the whole GUI without a GUI um, group. There's lib png, which you can guess, and then lib readline, which again highly recommended go to Hacker public radio listen to dave morris's readline episodes because they're super interesting but readline basically gets a line from a user from in in a terminal that's that's what it does and you can you can read its its info page its man page whatever it's it's quite extensive lots of information there on readline so that's a huge one lib readline and then there is lib seg Uh, SIGSEGV. This is another one of those GNU libraries. So uh, LIBSIGSEGV is a library for handling page faults in user mode. A page fault occurs when a program tries to access a region of memory that is currently not available. LIBSIGSEGV handles that. So that's kinda cool. Then there's LIBSLANG. And SLANG is a multi-platform programmer's library designed to, to allow a developer to create robust multi-platform software. It provides facilities required by interactive applications, such as display and screen management, keyboard input, key maps, and so on. The most exciting feature of this library is the slang interpreter that may be easily embedded into a program to make it extensible. While the emphasis has always been on the embedded nature of the interpreter, it may also be used in a standalone fashion through the use of SLSH which is part of the Slang distribution. I'll bet you had no idea such a thing existed. I certainly didn't. But if you type in man ssh if you've got lib Slang installed, uh, you will find that yes, there is an interpreter for Slang scripts. So that's kind of neat, and it's got dynamic loading of Slang modules, and it includes the readline interface and and an interactive mode as well. So very very neat. Lib ssh2, pretty obvious. Lib s T D C, that's the standard library of C. Lib T D B. That's the uh library of the, the trivial database is what it's called. TDB, trivial database, lib TDB. Lib TIF, I don't know if you know TIFF. Uh, TIFF is a image format. It's it's sort of an uncompressed, I, I don't know how uncompressed, but I think it's completely uncompressed image image format. So I, I interface with TIFF a lot. Well I used to when I was still in the film world uh tiff is a very popular format tiff and targa were uh t- TIFF and targa were were pretty big but uh everyone seemed to default to tiff after a while so i don't know if targa is like proprietary or whatever but yeah libtiff it's a good library there's lib is libtiff xx libturbo jpeg which is again jpeg but faster libusb I think that's pretty obvious. Libvga probably pretty obvious. Vgagl again pretty obvious. So there you go. That is the lib, the ELF libs package of Slackware. I realize that not all of those are going to be on your system. Probably most of them, honestly. But maybe there will be some that wouldn't be on like a fresh install of something that you've just just put onto your system. Or maybe there will be, and then some. Who knows? Maybe that's a minimal version of of kind of like the the absolute necessary stuff. Either way, I think it's really interesting to take a look at that sort of thing and actually do a quick man page search or 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 an internet search to see what exactly that random library is and why it's important. And you may never use it, like I I don't I'm not going to I don't see myself using libgmp or lib what was the other one mpfr anytime really soon, but it's kind of good to know that those things are there and why they're there. And I think if we take a really high-level, kind of like a sort of general overview of it, I think we could probably see that there are some some patterns here. You know, there's there's the there are little bundles. You know, there's like the curses stuff, all the stuff to generate little GUIs on your screen without actually having a GUI. There are sort of the basic imaging things, JPEG, PNG, TIFF. Uh, there are some of the things that, That you recognize just kind of scanning through you know like lib a sound lib cups yeah i can see how i need those things lib curl that's probably useful and then there's those really low level kind of um os level things like lib idn lib elber lib expat or um i meant lib elf expat um probably you can see how that would be used xml parsing i mean there's lots of xml on a system typically but anyway uh lib gcc lib gdb those kinds of things that, yeah, um, maybe you use them if you compile applications from source a lot, maybe maybe they ring a bell if you look at their name, but they're not necessarily things that you consider yourself super familiar with, so yeah, you you kind of see some patterns is what I'm trying to say, and and that's kind of interesting too, because it's how familiar you, how familiar are you with those little libraries on your system? Well, maybe you're more familiar than you realize if you take a look at them. So that's it. That's as far as we're going to go today, because, I mean, I could just sit here and read out packages uh, for for hours and hours and put you all to sleep. But I think it's important to look at that stuff, and and when we get out of this A package, the, the first initial package, or f- um, category, rather, of Slackware, I think it might be really kind of fun, because I feel that we're going to be... Uh, discovering applications that maybe we've never used before and might be actually quite useful. And I'm thinking of things like Elvis and Jove and Jed and Joe and other things like that. So there you go. That is the intro to your Linux system. Tune in next week where we will presumably talk more about the basic packages on a Linux distribution. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next time. of course, you can email me at clatu@member.fsf.org. at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.